one that I want to share with you, believing that God has something he wants to emphasize with you as you move toward the new year that is ahead of you. Now, the verse is found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you have a Bible, you can find that New Testament book. And we're going to focus in on chapter 10. Now, let me say about this particular book of the Bible, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that admittedly has some problems. I mean, they're not quite focusing in on Christ in the way that they should. So much of the letters, Paul's attempt to try to bring their attention back into proper focus. And uh, I think we'll see that emphasized in the 10th chapter. But while you're finding it in your Bible, I want you to visualize with me what I think could be said as described as one of the great scenes in all of the Bible. Uh, the scene I'm referring to is recorded in Exodus 14, where the people of God, the children of Israel, find themselves on the edge of the Red Sea. Now, in front of them is the water. Behind them, according to Exodus 14, is the most powerful military force in that day, the Egyptians. They're bearing down on them. Now, God had delivered them from 430 years of captivity, and it was the Lord who led them to the Red Sea. But now, with the sea in front of them and the Egyptians behind them, some of God's people are beginning to panic. They're thinking, there's no way that we can move through this. We're going to be overwhelmed. Well, as they cry out to the Lord... God responds. He directs his servant Moses to do the unexpected, to stretch out his staff and his hand, and suddenly God astounds them all. God begins to part the Red Sea so that you have a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left, and God instructs them to cross over. Now, probably, if you had been with the Israelites on that day, there may have been a little nervousness in taking those early steps. Perhaps. Now, maybe not with everyone. My daughter's family, Sarah, is bringing her family down to be with us for an extended Christmas uh, this coming week. Uh, I have a grandson, James, that I think would look at that with excitement, and he would probably run up to one of the walls and see if he could put his arm through. <laughs> but if you could imagine it, God's provided an unexpected way through, a way of escape. And he's asking you to move through it. Well, they do. And God provides for them the deliverance. And subsequently, the Egyptians think that they could follow behind only to discover that God had other plans for them. I mean, they're utterly defeated. But this is only the first example of God's provision God's faithfulness to his people. If you read from Exodus 14 to Exodus 16, God leads the children of Israel into an area where they are now dependent upon him for food. And you know what God does? The unexpected. He begins to provide manna from heaven in such a way that it would not only sustain them for a week, but ultimately, if you know the story, he would provide daily food for them for 40 years, God was meeting their need. In Exodus chapter 17, God leads his people to a place where there's no water. They think again, we're going to perish. <laughs> you know what God does? The unexpected. 
He instructs Moses to strike a rock, and from a rock, water flows. See, when you read through God's work toward the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, what you observe is this. God is faithful. As God relates to his people, he wants his people to realize that he will be faithful in his presence, that he will be faithful with his provision. God is faithful. And I think that's probably an important lesson to put before you on this particular Sunday, because as we move toward a new year, some of you are looking at circumstances and challenges that you have your doubts about. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded that the Lord we follow is faithful, that he's present, he's aware, and he can do what's necessary to bring you to where you need to be. God is faithful. And his people? Now see, that's the thing. God demonstrates his faithfulness toward the children of Israel, but they don't respond in the same way. If you found 1 Corinthians 10, Paul in the opening verses of the chapter points to the faithfulness of God. But at verse 5, notice what he has to say about the people of God. Nevertheless, with most of them referring to the children of Israel, the people I've just been describing, most of them, God was not pleased. Why? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. God was proving himself over and over again. The people in response, eh, not so much. In fact, if you read their story, you'll realize, you know what they do at a particular point in time? Exodus 32 describes it. They actually create a God out of their own making and worship their God, this golden calf, instead of the God who delivered them. See, they, they lost focus in a hurry. That wasn't their only indictment. If you read on, you come to Numbers chapter 25. God was trying to lead them in the way that they should go. They began to compromise their relationship with him spiritually, morally. They became sexually involved in ways that God, he clearly asked them not to do. But they did it anyway. And if you look at what is said of this people over the span of time that God was relating to them, it's painful to observe how many times they grumble and complain, constantly testing God, trying him. There's a notable example of that in Numbers 21, where it seems like as they're grumbling about God's provision, God says, that's enough. And it begins to display judgment and discipline against them. They respond to his faithfulness with a lack of faith, a lack of trust, a lack of following him. And that's what's on Paul's heart as he's trying to write to the church at Corinth. He says, you know, God was faithful, but his people weren't. Listen to what, what he says of them in verse 6. Now, these things, he says, took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did, referring to the children of Israel. 
Well, what did they do? Verse 7, do not, he says, be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, these people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Instead of honoring him as God, they elevated other things above him. I don't know what 2019 was like for you. I hope over the course of the last 12 months you didn't elevate something else above God. But that's what the children of Israel did. And I hope as we move toward 2020 that you would make a commitment not to do as they did, that you will choose instead to worship the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to not do as they did. Verse 8, he says, We must not, speaking to the Corinthians, indulge in sexual immorality, notice, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Again, you can read that in Numbers 25, but the point he's trying to make is, listen, we live in a culture that is clearly attempting to live outside of God's wisdom when it comes to sexual conduct, and Paul says, you have to stop that. You follow the Lord's wisdom when it comes to your sexuality. You don't compromise there. You don't do what the children of Israel did. Then he personalizes it, verse 9. We must not, he adds, put Christ to the test. Some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I hope you're not moving into the new year grumbling, questioning God's care and involvement like they did. Paul drives the lesson home in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What Paul is attempting to do is to point us back to what happened in the life of the children of Israel so that we could learn lessons that would guide us forward. He wants us to learn from their example. He wants you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and I do, he wants us to... Learn from what they did, from their negative example, to begin to do the things that are right. And so for the remainder of my time, what I want to do is see how we might learn from their example. Paul tries to make it practical and personal as he points us in the right direction. And I want to be just as practical with you. I want us in the verses that remain to think about what we should learn as we approach 2020 so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Starting with this, if we want to learn from their example, then you need to recognize your vulnerability. It starts there. Now, I don't know if you're of the habit of taking notes or not, but this is one of those lessons that would maybe be helpful to somehow notate what we're about to talk about because what I want to present before you, I'm convinced, are the very lessons that will help each of us experience more of God in 2020. 
But it starts with each of us recognizing our vulnerability. Now, I start there because if you go back to 1 Corinthians 10, that's where Paul takes us. Verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, he points to the children of Israel and he says, you know, they probably thought, having been delivered from the Egyptians, that they were invincible. They thought they were unstoppable, that they could handle things on their own. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, we don't want to repeat their mistakes. And one of the ways we avoid that is we recognize within our own lives our dependence on God. We admit our vulnerabilities. We don't pretend as we move into a new year that we can manage on our own. In fact, we do the, other, the opposite. We go into the new year openly confessing, Lord, I need you. I need you as much today as I ever have. I will need you as much tomorrow as I will ever have. I need you. See, one of the great, I think, destructive forces in the life of any follower of Jesus is when we become self-sufficient in how we try to live our lives. We kind of push God out of the dynamic. I mean, the writer of Proverbs is right. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. See, when I begin to entertain in my mind that I can manage on my own, I'll find myself falling into some of the patterns that the children of Israel fell into. We've got to know that we depend on the Lord. James articulates this principle in a very kind of concise way in James 4, 6, when he says, you should know this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if we're going to live 2020 in the way that God wants us to, we move toward the year confessing, now, Lord, I need you. I don't pretend otherwise. Now, some of you may have had an incredibly successful 2019, and I applaud that. That's great. But don't develop a false confidence about somehow you're going to be able to manage in the new year without God. No, even if you succeeded in the past, you, you confess, I need you, Lord. I'm dependent on you. I mean, don't, Paul's right. Don't let any person think that they can stand on their own or they'll fall. So it begins by us recognizing, by you recognizing your vulnerability. First lesson. Now the second may almost surprise you in light of the first. The second is this. We need to stop making excuses. Well, you just said I have to admit that I'm vulnerable. Yeah, you admit you need the Lord, but you don't allow your vulnerabilities now to become kind of an excuse or a justification for your failure. That won't serve you well. Now, Paul expresses it in a helpful way, again, back in, in verse 13. Notice what he says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, a few years ago, we made 1 Corinthians 10, 13 a life verse, or we tried to think about some of the practical ways it could move us forward. Well, I want us to come back to this verse because, again, do you hear what Paul is teaching? In essence, what he's saying, 
When you look at your temptation, whatever it is, your weakness, your struggle, whatever it may be, you need to be careful that you don't make excuses for it. There's nothing special about your particular weakness. There's nothing happening in your life that somehow now justifies your giving in to whatever that temptation or that weakness may be. I think in 2019, certainly a part of the American psyche is the whole victim mindset where we don't ever want to accept responsibility for what we do. Instead, we want to kind of redirect all blame to the circumstances around us or some person in our lives. My weakness really isn't my fault. Paul would say, now, there's no temptation that's particularly special It's all common. Now, let's acknowledge we don't all share the same weaknesses and temptations. But Paul's point, I think, needs to be heard. When you look at whatever it is, you don't want it now to become the justification for your failure. You need to stop making that an excuse. I remind you, the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus that he was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Now, here's the good news. We're following him, which means we have now access from him to the very things that we need so that we can overcome. And so instead of justifying my pattern of weakness, I need to admit my vulnerability, right? But I don't use my weakness as an excuse. Instead, instead of justifying the weakness, I allow the weakness to move me where? Back to God. I know I need him. And so what I do is I focus now on him. Even more specific, I focus on the faithfulness of God. Instead of becoming overwhelmed by whatever the temptation may be, I want to focus on who God is and God's capacity to affect my life in that situation. I focus on his faithfulness. If you go back to verse 13, that's exactly what Paul underscores. He acknowledges, now there's no temptation that's particularly special, but here is something that is special. God is Faithful. The the one we follow, the one we trust, is faithful to work with us and through us and in us. Can I personalize that even further? Focus on God and not on the temptation. See, sometimes I think we're susceptible to repeating our struggles, our weaknesses, because we fixate on the weakness. What we want to nurture within our hearts, it's the spiritual mindset where we focus day by day on God and our relationship with him and his faithfulness toward us. Our focus isn't on the struggle. Now, I'm not denying the struggle. I'm just not going to fixate on it. If I'm going to focus on anything, I want to focus on the one who's going to bring me through it. You focus on God, on his faithfulness, 
not on the struggle, on the temptation. And let's even take it this a little bit further. You're focusing on God as he leads you, because that's what he's seeking to do, as he leads you forward. It's not like God's over here and he's throwing in front of you a path that he wants you to follow. No, God is there. God was with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. He was present. He was wanting to lead them through it. And what I want us to be able to celebrate as we look at a new year is there's nothing you're about to face where God's not going to be present. And his heart's desire is to demonstrate his faithfulness as he leads you forward. So you focus on that. You think on that. You focus on who he is. Go back to verse 13. God is faithful. How is his faithfulness displayed? Notice, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, that's a verse to grab hold of. That's a thought to grab hold of. That there will be no temptation that will come my way that's unlimited. That it's measured, as Paul describes it, that he's not going to allow any test or temptation to come into my life that is greater than his ability to bring me through that. That is the testimony. That's how God is faithful. He's not going to allow whatever is happening in your life to be spinning out of control. God is faithful, and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. We should take heart with that, shouldn't we? Now, the word tempted here is the Greek word peresmos, which can also sometimes be translated tested. Now, I think it's properly translated tempted here because he's talking about the children of Israel's failures. But see, some of you, as you're coming into a new year, your concern isn't so much about an area of temptation as much as it's just a circumstance that's testing you to the core. Well, hear me say, and I believe Paul would say, what we're describing here is just as applicable to you as you faced a test as another would, person would face a temptation. That God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation or the test to be greater than your ability to move through it. So as I look at the temptation or the, the circumstantial test, I can know, okay, this isn't out of control. God is faithful. God is faithful. His faithfulness is seen in his ability to bring us through. Let me put the graphic again up of Moses at the Red Sea. I mean, that, think about that scene. They thought there was no way through, right? There was no escape. But God would not let them be tempted or tested beyond their ability. God knew what he was going to do. Now, how did God provide the solution? Well, if you look at what is described in the text, what happens is this. Moses, in essence, does what God asks with the means that God supplies. I'm reading from Exodus 14, 16. God says to Moses, lift up your staff Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
And I have to admit to you, I don't know if I've read this and never noticed it before or read it and forgot it, but I'm struck that what God asked Moses to do wasn't to stretch out his staff, but to lift it up. See, there's this acknowledgement that what God's placed in my hands, I'm now placing in his. I'm recognizing that he's asking me to do something, but I'm only going to do it through the means that he supplies. He wants to take what's mine, and now he wants me to stretch out my hand so that I might see the unexpected. And suddenly the waters begin to separate. The wind blows and a path is created. Do you realize it took the whole night? Some of us expect this deliverance to come in an instant. No, he had his hand, his staff lifted heavenward and his head stretched outward through the night. And God did the unexpected. See, Moses does what God asked through the means that God supplies. That's what God expects of us. I mean, you look at the temptation, you look at the test, you lift up who you are, what God has placed in your hand. You acknowledge your dependence on the Lord and then you begin to act upon what he asks. And suddenly he, in his faithfulness, makes the way. Go back to the verse. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. So I never connected, I don't know why I didn't, verse 13, with the picture of the Red Sea. But if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 10, that's where Paul starts. You have this impossible scene in front of you, and yet God does the unexpected. He creates the way of escape through. That's the final thought. You know, sometimes when we look at our temptations or our challenges or our tests, what we want God to do is just to remove them, right? That's what we would prefer. Why didn't he just take the Egyptians out of the way? Well, ultimately he did. But his wisdom was to bring his people through it. Look at the verse. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's through. It's not that he takes it away. No, he does something more dramatic. He brings you through to the other side. Day by day, he brings you through the temptation, through the test, through the hardship. He proves himself to be faithful. And as Paul would speak to us in 2019, as we look at 2020, you know what he would ask us to do? You need to be focusing on the faithfulness of God. You're not moving toward an uncertain outcome. You can be confident in God's presence and God's provision as you move through the coming year. There's no temptation that will be greater than his faithfulness. There's no challenge that will be greater than his capacity to bring you to where he wants you to be. 
So we need to focus on his faithfulness. I mean, when, when you look at 2020, that needs to be your vision for the new year. You just need to be going toward this year, renewing in your heart the conviction. God is faithful. There's not going to be any situation that's greater than his capacity to bring me to where I need to be. I will trust him. I will act upon what he asks. I will follow his lead. I'm not pretending that I don't have vulnerabilities. I admit my vulnerabilities, but I'm not going to focus on my weaknesses. I'm going to focus on his faithfulness, and he will bring me to where he wants me to be. He'll bring me through. Let me finish it out. Let's put it all together. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure how this works in my life in a practical way. There are some cards on the seat as you entered in. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin a series that I've entitled The Walk. Where I want you to actively experience Jesus Christ. So day by day, week by week, we're going to live this out. We're going to walk slowly through the book of Colossians, not the book of Corinthians, the book of Colossians. And we're going to allow the apostle again to point us to experiencing even more of Jesus so that he brings us through. If you want to get ready for that, between now and next Sunday, just read the book of Colossians at whatever pace you choose. Just read it, but come next week anticipating God's going to help us discover the walk that will lead us through the challenges, the temptations, the issues that confront us.